Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode number 99, which is really close to 100. What? Oh, I'm just going to see if you're going to make the same 100 joke that you made earlier. There were 99 sheep, but then there was the one that was lost. We need to go find the the 100th sheep. And speaking of a lost sheep, we have a guest on next week's episode. Boom. He's not a lost sheep. No, No, he's not. But he might be... I'm not going to say anything. Don't say anything. Don't. not going to spoil anything. I think they already know, don't they? No. Don't say it, Tim. Oh, I thought they did. Do they know that Jeff Bezos is going to come on our podcast next week? (laughs) From space. A lost (laughs) Jeff Bezos sheep. He's going to zoom in. Yikes. I just... It's like living in the curveball, living in it. Charlie's a constant curveball. <laughs> I know. Jeff well, we started Bezos. recording and then we had to stop recording and start over. And in the midst, we started talking about things that got me all riled up. He's riled. People. So now I'm all riled up. He's riled. This is riled Charlie right here. <laughs> Speaking of being riled up, you should submit a books and business. That's right. To our books and business yep. contest. How was that segue? That's beautiful. Get As riled usual. Up. As usual, an excellent segue, Charlie. Yep. Speaking of excellent segues, we have some Thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Let's talk about some books or business or just random things. Yeah. So I'm going to start trying to do, I'll, I mean, I'm going to do a book every once in a while on my books and business. This is Tim, but uh, I'm going to in, intersperse some different stuff every once in a while. I jumped into the Thinklings podcast Gmail account. I'm, I'm horrible at checking that and um, notice that there's some questions. Some of them go back for quite a while. Uh, that have been that listeners have sent in. So every once in a while, I'm going to interact with one of those. Um, and one of the things that we saw a lot of people really appreciated. Hey, what God, what's God doing in your life? Charlie's been working through this discipleship series, and um, connected to that is us asking ourselves, Hey, what is God doing in my life? And so when we we brought that up on that one episode a while back, there was some really positive uh, interaction from that where people were able to see we uh, have problems as well. And as the beginning of the school year has arrived, uh, there's a lot of excitement on campus, uh, a lot of new people, new faces, and also a lot of pressures. And as Charlie has mentioned on multiple occasions with his discipleship questions, those pressures uh, reveal uh, heart desires. And so I want to encourage you, listeners, you're thinking through, hey, you know what? This isn't just something for that friend that I know that uh, is struggling or has sinned against me, but it's also something for me. And I want you to also realize that's not just something that we tell you, it's something that we also tell ourselves. So like this last week, I had a lot of stuff going on. I guess it was like, two weeks ago go now, whatever. Anyway, recently, beginning of the school year, the August and September is like the busiest time of, the, of, of my life. Um, I, I kind of tell people between the bookstore getting classes started, it's just a really, really crazy time. This year I had an added pressure. I had an opportunity to speak at the Men's Revive Conference, uh, which I was really grateful for. Also had a... Um, uh, book table. I took a bunch of books up to the Men's Revive Conference. So, you know, whenever we're kind of doing stuff, it's kind of like there's this and there's that and there's this and there's that. There's multiple pieces. 
And I was interacting with a coworker, and uh, in from my perspective, the coworker just needed to do their job. That's what it came down to. And with all of the pressures that are coming at me, I've got to teach, I've got to pack up and take these books up, I've got to go and sell this book table, I've got this session to do at Men's Revive. You know, what did I do? Boom, I just kind of shot out this email and basically saying, would you please do your job? And, you know, our tendency and my tendency that weekend after I had done that is like, you know what, was that the flesh or was that the spirit? And of course, here comes the rationalization. So I have to speak, I've got this and that, and the person just needs to stink and do their job for crying out loud, you know? <laughs> but does that excuse anything? No. It doesn't excuse, excuse anything, okay? So there's the flesh and there's the spirit. And if I responded in the fresh, flesh, then what's my responsibility to then do? Repent. I need to repent. And I need to ask for that person's forgiveness. And so, you know, that situation all materialized and I uh, worked through that. And then I just thought, you know what, for our books and business, I saw those listener feedbacks on the Thinklings podcast at gmail.com. And I was like, you know what, I think I should just share that. Just share that. You know what, we mess up too. Uh, we sin and we need to ask for people's forgiveness. And I think God in his sovereignty um, brought those pressures in my life to re to reveal even my pride in saying, hey, you know what, you need to do your job and lashing out in the flesh uh, instead of walking in the spirit and to encourage you to just examine your own life as well and say, hey, what is God doing in the pressures in my life to reveal my heart and my sin? Uh, and that's my books and business today. So no real book, uh, just kind of what God's doing in my life. I thought I'd share that. And uh, yeah, pass it on to you, Stearns. I'll, <clears throat> I'll tag off that quick and then I will talk about a book. I think it's interesting. So I've got some trials that I go through from time to time. And one recently that I was dealing with, it was interesting because it, it was like, you know, you there were trying to get stuff done. It was a good and godly thing. It wasn't a wrong thing. It wasn't like, you know, wrong. And it's, it's interesting when you, God allows you to see your heart, but you can't say the thing that happened is necessarily wrong. It was a good thing. You just, it was too much. And so it's, it's interesting how trials just take all shapes and sizes that it's whatever shows you what's going on. It's whatever tests your faith in God. And because of that, if you, if there's something that's like legitimate or lawful or you know, whatever, it's kind of like you, you can love the wrong thing or you can love the right thing too much. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really interesting. So I think this week there's something that's been going on that I've been thinking, no, that's perfectly legitimate, you mm -hmm. know, kind of a thing. And it dawned on me that, oh, I think maybe you love that too much. And it's hard. I would, <laughs> I don't like those. I wouldn't do that. If I was God, I wouldn't do that to me, but I'm mm -hmm. not God and praise the Lord for that. <laughs> So I will, this will be quick. I listened to the second of the Redwall books. It's called Moss Flower. It is the story of Martin the Mouse, who is a, a key myth in the first book, Redwall. And so this is like a book going back and telling the pre-story of this great warrior named Martin the Mouse. And it was, again, it was a good book. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a little better than Redwall, but I can't tell if it's because I listened to a well-done audio with different voices and sound effects, or if it's because the writing was more engaging. I think the, the holding up of virtuous action was better in Moss flower. It wasn't bad in red wall, but it was more 
on the nose. Like I really saw the contrast between this character and this character and the way this one acted and this one. I would still say it's a little thin compared to some of the other books we read. It's good though. It's like, it's like a good, safe, fun story to read. That's what I would say. I enjoyed it. I gave it a four or five. It's not a bad book, but I will say after this one, the streaming service scrib that I have for another like four days has Matameo, the next book. And I was just like, yeah, I need a break from this. So it, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't like wing feather where I just had to keep going because it was doing something in me. So good book. Yeah. Four or five. Your kids enjoy it if they're old enough and yeah, I'm ready for a break. So I moved on to some other stuff. So I'm not going to talk about a book either, but when we're recording this, this is the day after, or should I say the first full day that the Amazon series rings of power is, uh, is available. It debuted last night at 8 PM and I watched both of the episodes that, uh, that were released. And so if you're not familiar, this is Amazon with, so we mentioned Jeff Bezos earlier. That was completely unintentional, <laughs> just a Freudian slip. But so Amazon has the rights to, I believe, parts of Tolkien lore, but they don't have all rights. So they can't like actually tell the story as it was told. So like what they're doing, and this is, I think they're, if you read into it, you're aware that they're doing this. They're creating their own narrative with certain characters but it's not the same narrative so it's like this like kind of kind of made up but not really made up and so for lord of the rings fans it's really like a it's like a conundrum like you know how much do you want to get into this and and there's a lot of on the front end a lot of skepticism about how woke it's going to be mm-hmm. uh pretty much every every scene like main character uh, a, a lot of the main characters are women or minority, uh, ethnicity. Um, there was a, a big, d- uh, discussion about how Durin, a very famous dwarf, if you've, uh, uh, remember that name from Lord of the Rings, he is featured in, I can't remember if it was the first or the second episode. And his wife is a black dwarf woman and, uh, unbearded. If you're aware of what, uh, dwarves mm. dwarf women are supposed to look like Gimli would not appreciate Gimli would not appreciate he probably wouldn't be super attracted to a, a beardless dwarf woman but so I just want to give my initial thoughts on it and I don't know if I would just say it's probably not worth watching it was very meh like I was I was I was looking for them to do something like that you could get upset about or that you could like oh that was actually pretty good and like the best part of it was like the first couple minutes of the first episode where they're like kind of just setting the table of like who's Morgoth and Sauron. And there's, there was a scene of like one of the fell beasts, like attacking one of the big Eagles, like a really cool scene. But other than that, it was like pretty much just like bad, bad narrative. It just wasn't a good story. Yeah. And they they have like a, they have like a female Frodo, like Mm. Hobbit. Mm Mm-hmm. And you kind of just, I didn't particularly care for her characterization. Um, there is a, there's Elrond is in it, Galadriel's in it, but they're kind of painting Galadriel as like this insolent warrior elf woman when 
and again, this is where the tension is like they couldn't actually use the Silmarillion or some of those backstory things, but her characterization here in this series seems to be not what you know of her from other Hmm. things. So it's like, I don't know. I just don't know what to think about it other than it's just like a bad, so far it's a bad story, Mm -hmm. but it will eventually in the end, it will have, you know, like orcs and goblins and elves and humans and, uh, you know, halflings like duking it out good versus evil. But I'm kind of curious to see at what point do their woke roots really come to fruition and there wasn't really, it was pretty innocuous in the first two episodes, but I'm, I'm just interested in to see when that, uh, so rings of power episode one and two, if I had to rate it on the thinklings goodness scale, I would say like a 0.5. It's good because it makes me think of Tolkien and his good books. The show is not so You just didn't like the story. Yeah. So, so, so if it was, it was two hours of like, so when are we going to get to something? When are we going to get to something? Mm. But yeah. Anyway. Sounds like most dramas. It's hard. I, <clears throat> there's a Thanos meme out there where there's that scene in the last movie where uh, he says, perhaps I've been too hard on you to his daughter. And then he gets his head chopped off. And the meme says, perhaps I've been on too hard on you. And it it's talking about the Hobbit trilogy because the Hobbit yes. trilogy was so terrible. And then rings of power comes out. And so it's like this big, Oh, <laughs> We should have been nicer to the Hobbit trilogy, but it was still appalling. So it's funny. I will say two episodes in a row. Shout out to Sawyer Gogarty. I watched it with Sawyer last night and afterward he sent me there's, I don't even know what it was. I don't know where he found it. I didn't look at it very closely, but someone has like made their own edited cut of the Hobbit where they cut out all the like really weird, like you shouldn't have done that stuff, Peter (sighs) Jackson. And then they put it together as one movie. So like if you could, you know, I don't know. Totally watch that. I don't know how you would be able to acquire something like this on the internet. But if you were able to acquire (laughs) this file and to burn it onto a DVD or Blu-ray disc, you would presumably have a one-disc, four-hour version of a better Hobbit story than the three-movie version you could buy. Oh, that's beautiful. So, anyway, but yeah, Rings of Power, underwhelming thus far. I, I am, so what, what I really want them to do is I want them to start making political statements and like mm. be woke so that anyone who's like realistic and objective can be like, this is why this is not a good show. Yeah. You, like, you, I don't want them to be like right on the line and kind of like, you're not really sure. I want them to do something so outlandishly woke that you're like, see, yeah. look what they've done. Like I want them to polarize it. I don't it's know. It's just if they, a bad story at this point. It's just a bad story at this point. Well, I don't. I don't like. I don't like how they're portraying Elrond and Galadriel. I haven't point. watched it, so so Fran- it's not worth your time. Fran- As a single guy, like I think I can pull it off. I mean, if I had a family, I wouldn't be doing it. I mean, it's a waste of my time. So I wouldn't go to this guy for lots of good stuff because of where he's left and where he's gone to. But Francis Schaefer's son, Frankie Schaefer, he was instrumental in all his uh, his his uh, how shall we now then live videos. And he was all about Christians creating good art. And so he has a book. I cannot remember the name now where he talks about propaganda and he says, anytime you produce art and your art is poor, but it's so that you can get a message across. That's no different than propaganda. But then what he does is he applies it to poor Christian kitsch. Hmm. 
And now where he's ended up is he's walked away from the faith. He's a total liberal. So I want to be careful to not adopt any of that. But I do think it's like what Tolkien said from our, our friend George in Georgia, that the story has to succeed on its own. And it appears to me that what you're saying is they aren't making the story succeed on its own and they have other agendas that are maybe getting in the way. So it'll be interesting. They might. They might. They might. See, we don't know. But if they did polarize it, like you said, that would be essentially confirming the suspicion. And, and it's one of those things where I have just barely dipped my toe into the multiple volumes of Middle Earth lore. And so I don't know the backstory well enough to like, oh, they got that wrong. Oh, that couldn't have happened. You know, like I'm on a Reddit thread that was like going live as I was watching. And I was just kind of taking the word of Redditor, which Redditors are usually pretty good at what they're commenting on. But um, anyway, so <laughs> I, I can't really comment on the accuracy of it within Middle Earth. So far, it's underwhelming story. And I feel like they're setting you up for some things that we might not enjoy later. But anyway, Tim, why don't you give us a quick preview of this episode? So I'm going through this series on Revelation, how God reveals himself to us, and, um, and how we uh, can acquire light to walk the walk of life. So uh, today we're going to look at Psalm 1, and I'm going to talk about uh, a figure of speech, which we're gonna we're gonna explore one figure of speech and think about it. We're also gonna you'll also see how figures of speech, I should say, how the Bible uses figures of speech to provoke your thinking and to guide you on the right path. So it's not just the content, it's how the content is delivered. It actually connects a little bit to what we're talking about with the media uh, today. The Bible con communicates content in a specific way. Uh, so it's the message and the delivery that provokes our thinking and guides us on the path. So let's have a conversation about metaphors. I was talking to some students and they were wondering about poetry and how to understand, uh, interpret poetry. And I decided, you know what, I, I don't know if I'm going to keep going with this, but I'll at least talk about some figures of speech to try to help out um, the listeners, as you're, as you're reading God's Word, that you might be able to hopefully interpret some of these metaphors. The uh, book that I'm actually going to consult here is a book that many of our um, students already, uh, they already have it. It's Basic Bible Interpretation by Roy Zuck. Yeah. This is actually a really helpful book. I know a lot of times students come in, they're freshmen, they don't really have a lot of background and real Bible study. So then they have to read this book and they hate it. Okay. But there's a chapter in here on figures of speech, which is a very uh, short and very good uh, uh, reference that you can use. And so I would strongly recommend not getting rid of this book, but actually keeping it. Uh, I have my students even in Hebrew exegesis, if they're wondering, well, what is um, a metonymy or some kind of figure of speech. And they can open up Zuck and, and get some information about these figures of speech and how they're working as they try to think through and learn poetry. So uh, I'm going to talk about metaphors today. And when I say metaphor, I'm really talking about kind of a group of, of, uh, of uh, figures of speech. Uh, for example, a simile. Most people are familiar with a simile. A simile is a comparison in which one thing explicitly resembles another. 
So similes have have a comparative particle like like or as. So uh, the text that we're going to end with today is going to be Psalm 1, where we have a simile. And uh, the, the blessed man is equated with, uh, he is like a tree. So in what way is he like a tree? That becomes the question. So the, the simile is explicitly stated. A metaphor, however, does, there's not an explicit statement. It, it's implied. So a metaphor is a comparison in which one thing is or acts like or represents another. So, uh, for example, I'm going to just use Zuck's illustration here. He has a simile. You wicked people are like dogs. He uses the comparative particle like. They are like dogs. And then a metaphor, he states, you wicked people are dogs. He's not saying that they are literally dogs. Okay, but there is a point of comparison between the people and the dog. And the third, uh, I'm going to group all of these three as metaphor, but this last one is a big fancy word, and so you can use this word and sound super smart, but it's really just a metaphor. It's called hypocatastasis. Yes. A hypocatastasis. And Zuck references the hypocatastasis. He says it's a lesser known figure of speech, is a comparison in which the likeness is implied by direct naming. So when David wrote, dogs have surrounded me in Psalm twenty-two sixteen, he's referring to his enemies and he's calling them dogs. He's not literally saying that I'm surrounded by dogs. You know, they're all around me. No, the people are dogs. But there's a point of comparison, some kind of a connection between the dog and the people. And the author is, is communicating something to the reader um, that, that, that connects those two in some way. So a simile, you wicked people are like dogs. A metaphor, you wicked people are dogs. And hypocatastasis, you dogs. Okay, there's no state of being verb. There's no comparative particle particle. They're, um, they're just dogs. Now to illustrate the meaning, now that's just to identify a metaphor, but to, to communicate the, the meaning of a metaphor, um, I want to talk about that next. And, and this, the meaning of a metaphor, I, I actually like to, I take an analogy from Wilfred Watson, his book, uh, Classical Hebrew Poetry, where he draws two boxes. And uh, when, you're, when you're trying to interpret a metaphor, the metaphor is like something else in some specific way. And he uses it as like a mathematical formula, which I don't know, that might really not help some of our listeners. X is like Y in respect to Z. And you're trying to figure out how these things correspond. So in what way are David's enemies dogs? Well, when you think of a dog, what is a dog? What, what comes to mind when you, when you uh, contemplate, you know, Fluffy as your, your dog? Well, I mean, they're sometimes in some cultures, there's dogs that just roam like a pack and they're problematic. I mean, we think of our pet dogs today, so we love them like our own children. Precisely. But in their day, dogs would have been like the scavenger animals that run around, right? Yes. And so that's where we also have a cultural gap where the dog that you have in your house is not the kind of dog that David is referring to. The dog he's referring to is this vicious, mean animal. 
And so when we think through a dog as being vicious and mean, that would be the point of comparison where David is saying, dogs have surrounded me. His enemies are these vicious and mean people and they've surrounded him. The surrounding connotation too. It's not just like a one-on-one -on -one type of a fight. They're all around him and they're there to, to get him. Uh, so these pack animals think like wolves, but not that big and ferocious. Okay, dogs instead. But if you get surrounded by a pack of dogs, that's still going to be a pretty dangerous situation. Finding that point of comparison can be a little bit challenging. And I go to Isaiah 1, 9, and 10 to illustrate it. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. So he uses Sodom and Gomorrah in, in these um, similes. You have the particle like, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. In what way is Israel like Sodom, like Gomorrah in Isaiah 1.9? I kind of want to throw that out to you guys, but I don't know. You don't really have a lot of context. But in what way is Israel like Sodom and Gomorrah in Isaiah 1.9? Is he getting at spiritual condition? Okay, so when we think through Sodom and Gomorrah, we think of their sin and their spiritual condition. They're a wicked people. Now, is that the point of comparison in Isaiah 1.9? So this is where we're trying to think through Sodom and Gomorrah and everything associated with Sodom and Gomorrah, which a poet might make a correspondence to. So Sodom and Gomorrah are also known for being judged. Okay, so is it their to, spiritual condition, like their wickedness, or is it that God judged them and destroyed them? And it's actually that latter one that is being highlighted in Isaiah 1.9. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have been wiped out like Sodom. Mm. We would have been completely destroyed like Gomorrah. And there's a little irony in this verse because who wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah? God did. God did. But who is preserving Israel in Isaiah 1.9? Mm, God does. God does. So the one who wiped out these, these cities because of their sin is actually the one that's preserving Israel in spite of their sin. Now, this provides a nice illustration of teaching how you want to find the point of comparison with a metaphor, because in the very next verse, Sodom and yeah. Gomorrah show up again. You saw it there, didn't you? Yeah, that's where I'm, I was trying to get context, and I'm like, well, it looks like 110 has Sodom is and Gomorrah. a different point of comparison. Right. And that's why this is such a beautiful illustration of how metaphors work. The point of comparison in verse 9 is Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction. But look at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Is, is that a hypocatastasis then? It is. Oh. See, so in Isaiah 1.10, it's not a simile. It's good a hypocatastasis. Good use of the word. Thank you. I feel so smart. Like you said, if I use it, I can feel smart. Hey, Unlike the last episode where I was wrong. <laughs> anyone, anyone listening to this, go to our Facebook page or Instagram and hypocatastasis us. Yes. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> be be nice. Yeah. Don't <laughs> don't judge us like so. Well, <laughs> just this will be fun. Hypocatastasis us. So you, you thinklings. <laughs> so you 
you rulers of Sodom and you people of Gomorrah, Israel's sin is like Sodom. Their wickedness is like Gomorrah. And so he calls them rulers of Sodom and people of Gomorrah. And he's not highlighting their destruction, but those cities and their wickedness. So whenever you run into a figure of speech, you want to ask yourself, okay, what is the point of comparison between these two things? Now let's go to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. I mean, there's some stuff to unpack right there. So walking in the counsel of the ungodly, what is that? The standing in the path of sinner, but we're going to keep going. We're going to skip that. Verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord and meditates day and night on God's law. Then in verse 3, he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. So here's our simile. And the simile is that the blessed man is like a tree. Now we need to ask ourselves, in what way is the blessed man like a tree? Reading through the rest of the passage can help give us a little bit of context. And so I'm going to go ahead and do that. In this specific instance, we have to actually have what's called an extended simile, where the author actually um, develops the simile even more. Psalm 23 is an extended simile. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Hmm. You see, he's extending the simile. Well, it's actually an extended metaphor because there's no like in Isaiah or in Psalm 23. But here we have an extended simile. Okay, so I'm going to keep reading. Verse 3, I'm going to start over at Psalm 1-3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. So in Psalm 1, you have that comparative particle, like a tree, and then the ungodly are like the chaff, which the wind drives away. So what is the point of comparison between the tree and the blessed man? When you think of a tree, first of all, what do you think of? Leaves. Leaves. Not being hasty. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. That was going to be my thought. I should have let you have that. It's your thought. When you said, what, when you think of trees, what's the first thing you think of? I was going to say, ants. <laughs> guys are horrendous. We are. So, well, I, I mean, it's hard. I'm trying to like walk logically through this, but I see he's like a tree. Uh-huh. And then what's the comparison? He's like chaff and chaff is blows away. So what's the opposite of that? The tree doesn't blow away. Right. It it's strong. It can handle wind. But I but there's more there. So I don't know if that's well. Is it? He's not. He's not describing. It. No, I think that's why he continues to describe the tree. Right. So then he extends the metaphor to the <clears throat> leaves and to the. It's not a sapling. Yeah. It is a mature mature yeah. tree, mm-hmm. and I. But I mean. What? We're all we're all staring at each other. Yeah. Well, like okay, when a tree's leaves die, 
they blow away in the wind. But when the tree's leaves, when it's like alive and growing, it mm-hmm. stays there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, I mean, I'm trying to decide like, what is the chaff? Is it just harvest chaff or is it like anything? Well, and so the chaff would be the, what's left after the fruit is gone. So I don't know if I would draw a correlation between the chaff and the tree. The yeah, chaff is just going to be like so the harvest. The point, of that, the point of that is one has fruit oh. and the other one, the fruit is gone. There's not, there is no oh, okay. fruit. It's just the chaff. It's not the fruit. So whether or not that, he's not comparing that, but in the description, hmm. the presence of the growth, the fruit is, 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 is that a sign of the maturity of the tree or the stability oh. of the tree or something like that? Well, I guess the obvious one is the tree's alive and the chaff is dead. I don't know if that's, yeah. is that it? Yes. So okay. the, the chaff is something that is inconsequential and just blows away. When a wind comes, the chaff blows with the wind and it's going to get swept away to here, there, and all over the place. Some like James, you know, oh. come to mind every wind of doctrine or hmm. whatever else. Whereas the tree is going to be firmly grounded in the earth and it's not going to move. It's going to stand firm. Hmm. And in its solidity and in its standing firm, it's going to then provide leaves that's actually an important component because in the ancient near eastern world they liked trees because they were out inside in the sun all the time and Mm -hmm. what do leaves provide shade shade in the ancient near eastern world a tree is also going to be a metaphor for a king or a ruler a king or a ruler is one that provides protection that's Mm. the shade Mm. and he's also the king the ruler will provide provision that'd be the fruit Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar is likened to a tree in uh, Daniel chapter 4. So the metaphor of a tree has this idea. And the blessed man is one who does what? He's solidified. He's grounded. He has leaves. He has fruit. He has protection. He, he provides protection. He provides sustenance. Okay, so this is this idea of the metaphor. And here it's extended. So now what is that point of comparison? There's multiple. That's why it's an extended simile. Hmm. Uh, let's see here. How do I transition into this? But what is it that he's doing? Uh, let me see here. Maybe I just say it and explain it. Do you know where I'm going with this? I have an idea, but why don't you say it first? Because there's something in Intro to Bible to say about metaphors, but I'm going to hold it until you say it. So I wonder if we're going to the same. In back verse two. 3, yeah, it does. So yeah. that's where I'm going with it. So in verse 3, it says, He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. We haven't highlighted the rivers of water. We've hmm. focused on the fruit and the leaves the the produce of the tree but not the source of the provision for the tree mm. the source of the provision for the tree is the rivers of water as opposed to the dry chaff that just gets blown away in the wind and what is the metaphor what is the point of comparison with the rivers of water there's two yeah delighting and meditating the meditation on the word of god so in Psalm 1-2, his delight, the blessed man, who is the tree, delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates day and night on the law of the, of, of the Lord. Okay. Well, what is then the law of the Lord? That is the water. That is the sustenance for the tree to then produce all of this stuff. 
So that's why this is just a beautiful extended simile illustrating the blessed man and how he must be. The focus of this passage isn't upon the produce. It's upon mm. the source. It's upon the, the love, the Lord, as being the sustenance for the blessed man to then produce these things and to be this godly individual. Okay. So as I think through this and as we're at the in the fall, you know, there's a lot of new things that are taking place. You're you're getting started with school, maybe you're getting started with fall ministries at your youth group or whatever ministries that you're you're doing and getting involved in. Those are all good things. And this is a time of year that I really want to encourage you to reflect upon desiring and delighting in the law of the Lord. As you begin a ministry this fall, or as you serve the Lord, or as you're trying to grow in your Christian life, the primacy of God's word, it has to, has to be the, your foundation for having and being a fruitful and grounded and solid tree. Uh, and I just want to encourage you as we think through metaphors, finding that point of comparison between two things. And then delighting in this exercise that we just did. So I've gone to, I was ministering at a church and I was kind of starting to talk about metaphors and poetry a little bit. And they just kind of checked, checked me off, it felt like. <laughs> and they, they just didn't really want it. All right. You know, when we get into some of this stuff, it can feel like, oh, you guys are teachers, you're professors, you know, you you have the tools, the knowledge, whatever else, you know. Okay, the exercise that we're doing here is what you can do. And even if you make a mistake every once in a while oh, mm -hmm. and you mess up a metaphor, that's okay. All right. You're thinking and you're growing and you get better at it and better at it and you develop a thirst for it. So I'll use this illustration. People will be struggling with, um, with, uh, they'll be struggling with anxiety. They'll be struggling with lust. They'll be struggling with fill in the blank, blank. Okay. What are you drinking? What are you drinking? Hmm. And a lot of times you're struggling with whatever you're struggling with because of what you're consuming and you're not consuming the rivers and so as a result you're not a tree and then what is happening to you you're driven here by this lust or passion you're driven there by this anxious thought because you're drinking the news and you're studying that all the time and you're not in god's word the believer the blessed man the happy man he's grounded in the word of god and he enjoys it and I would encourage you this fall to delight in the law of the Lord, like it, want it. You know, as you read God's word and you're not getting anything out of it, go after it again, want it, desire it, and think, think through these metaphors, seek to interpret them correctly, and have fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. 
read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.